When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So there is a a ton that I want to talk about today, a ton that's on my mind. Uh, I'll be talking about gold, uh, the the Powell testimony today, some some more lunacy out of uh, Trump's economic advisor, uh, Kudlow, and some other topics. Uh, But first off, I I want to give you guys a quick reminder for those of you that are watching over in the YouTube world, uh, that I am on most major podcast platforms. So maybe you find it difficult to, to actually watch my videos. It's easier to listen to them on the go while you're driving or working out through a podcast platform. You can you can download it beforehand. You don't even need internet. Maybe it's you know, something against YouTube, right, and Google and, and their, their uh, encroachment on personal liberties. Um, well, I'm on most major podcast platforms for you to check me out over there. I mean... Spotify, uh, Anchor, iOS, you know, Apple, um, Android, Google, all of those major platforms out there. So if that's how you'd prefer to listen, I just wanted to put that out there uh, so, so you have that resource. Now, getting to the title of this video, gold continues to defy expectations. Now, the reason I chose that title is, is for, well, there's two different reasons. First of all, we're almost to the middle of July. Now, historically speaking, the summer months are some of the worst months for the metals markets for silver and gold, and especially the first half of July. In fact, this was pointed out last week by uh, Craig Hemke uh, from TFMR Podcast, uh, where, where when the Fed chairman is, is going to Congress to, to testify to them in these Humphrey Hawkins uh, testimony that I'll be talking about here in a second, that historically it's just been silver and gold have gotten beaten down during these time periods. And yet today, we don't see that happening. We see gold uh, beginning the day slightly below 1400 and yet closing just shy of 1420 and, and the bulk of that came on Powell's pre-written... Uh, you know, uh, statement to, before these these two different testimonies, one of which he gave today, and the other uh, that he is giving tomorrow. I think tomorrow is the one to, to the Senate uh, Financial Committee or whatever it is, and and the one today was was the House Representatives. And in this pre you know prepared statement, basically, the big takeaway was that he, this is the dovish Powell that we're dealing with right now. Uh, he, he basically says that, hey, you know, looking forward, we still kind of expect uh, the what he calls, I think, the base case for economic growth and inflation and whatnot. But he does say that, that the, you know, the risks are growing, right? The chance of a recession or lower inflation or whatever you want to call it is growing. And people obviously interpret that as dovish. People basically saw that as 
Powell confirming what the markets have been pricing in for some time now, and that's that they're going to be cutting rates uh, at the end of this month with their next FOMC meeting. Now, he then you know went on and took these questions Q and A session with with Congress, and then also this afternoon the FOMC released their minutes from their June meeting, which gave another boost to gold because it showed that uh, quite a few members of the Federal Reserve are really on board with with cutting rates and and potentially were back in june so that's kind of where we're at and and i want to talk about real quickly this this testimony now there wasn't a whole lot i'll I'll be honest i didn't tune into the the whole thing i only tuned into to a couple of the questions that were asked i don't think there's a whole lot of meat in terms of of what the fed is planning to do going forward in terms of monetary policy because a lot of the the congressmen and women that are asking these questions uh they they ask it with an agenda and that agenda is not to glean more information for for financial markets on how many rate cuts can can we expect by the end of 2019 or or when will quantitative tightening uh and when will qe begin no i mean that's that's not really the scope of their questions instead they ask questions that are pointed at their constituency back home or are very political in nature. And I want to point out a couple of those. First of all, Zero Hedge pointed out one that was, was pretty hilarious. And this one actually I didn't tune into, but a, uh, a congressman was asking a question about uh, LIBOR, L-I-B-O-R. It's London Interbank uh, Overnight Rates, I believe. And, and the, basically the question revolved around how that is being replaced by SOFR, which is, I assume, some other type of, of rate. Um, I, I forget if that's the one that's been put out here stateside or if that's a different one. But anyways, that, that, that was a question. But the, the, the funny piece of it was that this congressman, who apparently was, uh, he has an MBA from, from Wharton, he's, he's on the House you know, banking or financial committee, whatever it's, the, the technical name is for it, and he referred to LIBOR as Libra, which, you know, if you've been paying attention, Libra is this cryptocurrency that, that Facebook has been working on and will be putting out. I, I should say cryptocurrency is not quite the right term because it's, it's hardly decentralized. It's hardly, you know, privacy driven. But um, that's what they're calling it, I believe. And, and that's something that's going to be pushed out here in, in uh, you know, I think maybe 2020. But anyways, totally messed up. The, he kept referring to it as Libra versus LIBOR. Now, Powell... Um, was was kind enough not to to correct him on, and he just he understood what the question was about. But I thought that was funny. Uh, there's a couple other questions which I, I was tuned into, and, and it's just kind of ridiculous what what we hear from not only the the congressmen and women, but uh, women, but also Powell's response. For example, we had one congresswoman who was asking about uh, um, the nation's gun problem and opioid crisis, and and how that factors into monetary policy. And I'm just like, come on, gun policy? Like this is clearly super political and and i don't know if that's really the place to begin political on those types of of topics now powell basically kind of dodged the the gun question and and rightfully so and he did point out that the opioid opioid crisis is you know causing a large segment of the population to basically be you know non-productive now is that you know what came first the chicken or the egg in terms of uh low unemployment or, or poor economic growth or economic conditions for these individuals or the addiction, whether it's heroin or, or some of their opioid or some of their drug, you know, what came first? It's, it's not always a clear-cut answer. But 
but he did kind of answer on that. You know, another one that, that came up was a woman that was asking about uh, the, the Fed's reporting on poverty. And, and she noted that, hey, you know, in this prepared statement, you didn't really talk a whole lot about poverty. And he basically said, well, look, I mean, the Fed, we, we already have data series on poverty and whatnot. And, but, but she was talking about, you know, those that are kind of being left behind. In, in the economy, and, and it's really unfortunate that that maybe she or, or many other members of Congress aren't sharper on this issue, in realizing just how complicit the Fed has been in this so-called uh, growing wealth gap, right? Uh, higher rates of poverty, or or the rich getting richer and the rest of us staying steady, or, or losing standards of living. They they don't realize how complicit the Fed has been because. Predominantly, I mean, as a whole, Fed policy, which which mostly amounts to interest rates and quantitative easing, you know, open market operations, targets assets that are owned by the rich, primarily. I mean, yes, lower interest rates, lower Fed funds rate, can translate to lower mortgage rates, or it can translate to lower interest rates in general on on small business loans or whatever, right? Uh, same thing goes for quantitative easing. However, the benefits that, additionally, I should say, those also can benefit the stock market, right? And, and many, you know, lower or middle class people own stocks. But when you look at it, the bulk of those assets that benefit from low interest rates and from quantitative easing are owned by the upper class, right? The, the bulk of the stock market, the bond market, the real estate market, um, etc., businesses, those are all owned by the upper class. Not all of them, but the vast majority. And so if you have policy that benefits those assets or those businesses, then then most of the benefit is going to go to the rich, right? And that's not the only way. I mean, the other way is is how the Fed has, has really punished um, savers, right? And, and I guess rewarded borrowers. They through low interest rate policy, right? People get less and less interest rates on, on their savings and, and that basically encourages people to take out more loans and it helps that, hey, the loans are at a lower interest rate. But long-term, that's that's a really poor strategy for, for long-term economic growth uh, as well as long-term you know, economic equality. And so uh, no congressman or woman pointed this out, right? And of course, Powell wasn't going to bring it up. Uh, but but it's just ridiculous, right? Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is is the Fed and, and their their overarching goal, which is inflation, right? Inflation targeting, inflation uh, of their core PCE of two percent, right? That's when they exclude the energy and the food costs, two percent. And it's you know I used this analogy a long time ago, and I don't know if it's a good analogy or not. Okay, but I compared the Fed to a, a baseball player that is up to bat, okay? And, and the pitch is being thrown, okay? In, in this analogy, the pitch is basically, you know, economic conditions, right? The current situation uh, in, in the United States or, or the global macro situation, right? And the Fed totally approaches it the wrong way. First of all, they have poor form with their swing, meaning they're not even using, you know, tools correctly to to target their their goals second of all they're not using the right tools right they're not even using a bat they're using a i don't know a broomstick up to bat right interest rate policy and 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 quantitative easing um third of all i mean here's this person up to bat in a major league baseball game 
And they aren't even major league caliber. What, what, what am I saying by that? I mean, in this analogy, that's basically me saying, hey, maybe the Fed shouldn't be there in the first place, right? The Fed does not belong in the seat that it holds with this enormous amount of power to to control interest rate policy and, and open market operations and whatnot. Um, and then also, uh, as this pitch is coming, the Fed, or this batter, has a habit of swinging at it late every single time. I mean, how many times have we seen that in the Fed's history where they, they catch on to a recession after it's already in progress, right? The recession's already begun and the Fed's like, well, you know, we, we think, you know, conditions are deteriorating. Maybe it's time to start cutting rates. It's ridiculous. Not saying that they should be doing preemptive rate cuts. You know what my argument is about the Fed for so long is, has been that they shouldn't exist in the first place. The idea that interest rates, this all-important Fed funds rate, should be controlled by the Federal Reserve Board, right, the chairman and the other voting members, is ridiculous. Because first of all, we're basically saying that in some way, shape, or form, they're, they're infallible, or at least close to infallible, that they know the perfect route, which is, is faulty in the first place because economics in many ways is, is up for debate, right? It's not a settled science at all. I think a lot of people don't realize that. But also, the risk for political uh, uh, involvement in the Federal Reserve is enormously high. We see that right now with, with Trump trying to... to um, um, sway the Fed towards a towards more dovish direction or uh, appointing or nominating uh, board uh, individuals to the board of, of governors that are probably going to to be in favor of cutting rates and whatnot and and Trump's not the first one to do it I, I would wager that just about every president ever has been in that position because who wants a hawkish Fed when they're in office not most presidents because they want to be reelected, and once they're done with their four terms or, or four years or their eight years, they want you know somebody else from their party to be elected, right? And, and a, an economy that's not in recession helps that, right? And so the Fed should not be there in the first place. Um, but but they talk about this this inflation targeting, and and it's it's ridiculous. I mean, first of all, the two percent that they shoot for in this this core PCE is arbitrary. I mean, you want to know the truth about the matter. The core PCE on a yearly basis, not, you know, looking at each individual month, but when you average out the years, I want to say it's like three or four years that it's actually been above 2%, right? I think there's another year or two, uh, I think maybe 2008 and like 2003, that it was just shy of 2%. But, but there's five years there where it's pretty darn close or slightly over 2%, and they all occurred leading up to the great financial crisis. Prior to that, you'd have to find, you'd have to go back to like the mid 90s to find a time in which the course PCE was, you know, around or above 2%. And, and that was the case for a, a long time before the mid 90s that it was well above 2%. But it's an arbitrary number because that's the only, besides the inflation of the 70s and the 80s and then it's slowly coming down until, you know, finally dropping below 2% in the, the mid 90s, the only example of it being, um, above 2% or around 2% is leading up to the great financial crisis. I mean, why would you want to use that as the model for economic growth or economic prosperity or sustainable economic growth? It's, it's a terrible idea, right? And why are we even shooting for inflation in the first place? And then there's this notion that core PC actually reflects actual inflation in the real economy, which it doesn't, right? 
This has been widely reported on by myself as well as many others that methods like core PCE vastly underestimate inflation. Whether it's inflation in assets like like stocks or real estate or or bonds, which, believe me, are, are a huge benefactor of this inflation. That's where a lot of inflation has gone. But also other types of inflation, such as housing, such as as um, um, things like like food, right? Or uh, college tuition, healthcare. I mean, that's a huge one, right? Core PC totally misses those major pieces of, of the average American's budget. It, it's just a terrible uh, uh, projection. It's a terrible tool to use. And yet, that's what the Fed and, and the ECB, you know, uh, their, their you know, equivalent to PCE or whatever, that's, that's their goal, 2%. It's arbitrary and it's, it's terrible. And yet, you know, many in the, uh, the economic world would, would treat them as if they are like monetary gods and goddesses as if they know absolutely what they're talking about and that they are you know infallible like like the powell is like the pope or something like that right in the catholic church and that's totally not true right it's it's faulty um faulty analysis faulty uh uh, reasoning in many of these cases now the final thing i wanted to talk about was uh kudlow and his uh, recent statements that I saw the other day, I think it was Mediate.com that I saw this from, where he was talking about uh, the, the national debt. He's asked about, is the national debt something we should worry about? And basically what he said is no. And, and that's not surprising. I mean, ever since Kudlow uh, uh, has, has joined the Trump administration, he's been a cheerleader, right? Nothing Trump or, or the U.S. economy can do no wrong in his eyes. And, and basically, his argument for why he's not worried about like the $22.5 trillion national debt is that economic growth is strengthening. And, and that totally ignores the fact that since the great financial crisis and the great recession, economic growth is not strengthening. The trend is downwards, closer and closer to zero, right? And let's ignore for a second the high likelihood of a, a recession in the next 12 months, which will put a huge strain on the national debt. That's the direction that we're heading, lower and lower economic growth. The only exception has been in uh, the you know the last year or two because of this boost from Trump tax cuts. But that's temporary, and, and it's not going to last forever. And, and uh, you know, if anything, it's only adding to the national debt, right? That type of economic growth that, that occurred as a result of Trump tax cuts are not making up for this, this, um, this deficit, right? If anything, over the last you know year, year and a half since the Trump tax cuts went into effect, deficits are ballooning, right? This is getting out of control. And, and he's even picking on the CBO and, and their um, projections for the national debt. And it's ridiculous because the fact of the matter is the CBO, if anything, underestimates the debt problem going forward because it's very difficult for them to forecast recessions. But this next recession, we're going to see this debt spiral out of control and Kudlow is totally ignoring it, right? This is just like, you know, when he's been talking earlier this year or last year where he says there's no recession in sight. It's nonsense, right? The guy's, you know, he's he's pushing pop propaganda essentially. And and you know, the, I guess it annoys me. I, I'm trying not to get too fired up or angry. I'm not angry about that. This stuff doesn't, you know, and the whole scheme of things is not that big of a deal for me or, or for this you know, broader conversation about the economy. But, but when you have somebody who is, who's a bright guy, 
right? And historically speaking, probably would have been a critic of, let's say, a Democratic president like Obama racking up deficits like we are right now during supposedly strong economic period. Uh, to, to then totally change his perspective now that he's part of a Republican administration, it's it's disheartening and it's it, you know it makes me lose a lot of respect for the guy, right? If we look at this from an objective perspective and not a, a super uh, partisan perspective, it, it makes me lose respect for the guy. Um, and and I guess you know this is what Kudlow says has very little bearing. I think most people's decision making in the investment world, right? Um, but with that being said, I do like to cover the things the guy says, right? Because they're going to come back to, to haunt him one day. I mean, I guess fortunately he's, he's getting up there. You know, I don't know how old he is, seventies, eighties, right? He's looking pretty old, uh, just saying. And so, you know, with that being said, I, <laughs> he's going to have to eat those words. I think while he's still alive, right? I don't think all this is going to come to pass after he's you know passed away. So anyways, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, this podcast on this video down below in the comment section. Finally, I'd like to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast and God bless.